Boy, it's hard to stop that, isn't it? Wow. Let me encourage you to turn to the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And in one sense, we are continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark. In another sense, we're playing off what we just heard. I've never preached from this text except on Palm Sunday because that's what we find in Mark chapter 11 and verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany that are actually on the east side of the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it, and he'll send it back shortly. So the disciples obeyed, verse 4. They went and found a colt outside in the street, just as Jesus had told them they would, tied at the doorway. And as far as I can tell, this was all prearranged. On a prior visit, Jesus had talked to some of his friends and said, hey, I need your animal, and this is what we're going to do. Even gave them a password so that they would know that the people taking the colt were working for Christ. The Lord needs it, was the password. So they found the colt, verse 4. They untied it. Some of the people, we find out from another gospel writer, the owners, <laughs> they were standing there and they said, what are you doing untying the colt? Now, we often read the scripture with such lack of passion. Put yourself in their place. Suppose someone just got into your car in your driveway and started driving off. You wouldn't say, excuse me, sir, uh, could you please explain to me? You'd say, what are you doing? And you'd tackle them and call the police, and that's probably what these owners were actually ready to do. What are you doing untying the colt? And they answered, what Jesus told them to, the Lord needs it. If you read the same account in Luke 19, the Lord needs it. Ah, okay, all right, you're the guys, take it away. Verse 7, they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches that they had cut in the field. <clears throat> Why this long litany of what appears to be such insignificant details because they're not insignificant. And what we find here is that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. This whole section of Scripture is all about praise, but it begins with Jesus fulfilling prophecy. And by the way, my friend, that's the reason why we can praise, because Jesus fulfills all the Word of God. Matthew actually tells us, again, in the same account in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, he said this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And then he quotes from Zechariah, chapter 9 and verse 9, that goes like this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, notice the enthusiasm. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, but gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So rejoice and shout. And everyone knew this was a messianic prophecy. Rejoice because Messiah has come. 
Now, you and I think of a donkey as being a rather contemptible animal, beast of burden, but in that day, it was quite a noble animal, and kings would ride donkeys. If they were going to war, they'd ride a horse. If they were coming for peace, they'd ride a donkey. And that's exactly what Zechariah says. He's coming gentle, riding on a donkey. He's the prince of peace. And Messiah has come, and Jesus has fulfilled the word of God. Now John, writing about this same story, in John chapter 12 says this, the disciples did not understand all this. It was only after Jesus was glorified that they understood that these things were written about him and they were actually playing a role in the great drama of redemption. By the way, God is fulfilling his word in amazing ways all across the world and you and I are playing a role in the grand drama of redemption. But they didn't catch it. But some did. Some recognized it. And they ended up fulfilling a prophecy that was given way back in Psalm 118, verse 25. It was a prophecy that describes that the day of the Lord is coming. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. How many of you are familiar with that verse? And we many times use it for different things. And it's okay. You have a good day, you quote the verse. But did you know the verse was designed in its primary context to refer to Palm Sunday? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us now. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's exactly what they say in verse 9. Those who went ahead and those who followed behind shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. They're quoting from Psalm 118. And so Jesus fulfills the word of God about the way the king is going to come and about the response that the people give the king on that blessed and glorious day. And I'm here to tell you, my friends, you and I have reason to rejoice because Jesus is fulfilling the word of God. And every promise of the book is yea and amen in the person of Christ. Every promise he gives to you about forgiveness of sin, every promise he gives to you about help during your trials, every promise about answered prayer, Jesus fulfills the word of God. Jesus spent his life fulfilling the word. Everything he did was in fulfillment of the perfect plan and purpose of God. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Don't think I've come into the world to abolish the law or the prophets. No, I've come not to abolish, but to what? Fulfill. When he stood in the synagogue in Nazareth, his own hometown, amidst all kinds of opposition. And he read from Isaiah 61 about the one who was coming to liberate the people of God. He said this, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. Wow. He claimed to be the answer. In Luke 18, 31, as they were going to Jerusalem on that wonderful day we call Palm Sunday, Jesus took the 12 aside and said, We're going up to Jerusalem and I want you to know that everything written about the prophets, about the Son of Man, is going to be fulfilled. 
and he's just ticking them off one after the other. So hundreds of years, in the case of Zechariah, 500 years after the prophecy was given, Jesus fulfills it to the T. That's why he rode on a donkey. And that's why the people shouted, save us now. And Jesus fulfills all prophecy. But not only that, secondly, Jesus receives praise. Verse 9 and 10. By the way, have actually some structure to it. It's a, it's a time of celebration, but there's some literary structure. I want you to notice in verse 9 and 10. Uh, so the first line and the last line are identical, and the two middle lines are identical. So if you were charting this out in writing class or poetry class, it's called the chiastic uh, construction. So you would start out with the line A, which is Hosanna, and the line B is blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then another B is repeated, blessed is the coming kingdom of our Lord, and then you go back to A, Hosanna in the highest. Now, I know that this has to be structured because if you put all the gospel writers together, more was said than this. And we know that often in the Old Testament, like in Psalm 119, poetry drives the inspired text for every section, follows the Hebrew alphabet. So here we have this wonderful literary structure that Mark is using, this A-B-B-A. You said, oh, that's great. It's the Aramaic name for God, Abba. Well, it's also the name for a Swedish pop group from the 70s. It doesn't make it holy. <clears throat> but it shows that there's some design here. Save us now. Blessed, blessed, save us now. This is all about the fact that Jesus is taking in the praises, get this, that is only reserved for God and his Messiah. And if Jesus is not God, he committed an act of robbery by taking a title that he wasn't worthy of. He committed blasphemy by allowing people to worship him if he's not God. But he is. And he receives our praise. And he loves to receive the praise. He loves to take it in. So you've got this response of wonderful celebration. Did not our Lord say in Psalm 4, or, or through the Apostle Paul, actually, Philippians, excuse me, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice always, and again I say, rejoice. The way I read that is like this, rejoice always, and if you didn't get it the first time, let me say it again, rejoice. Because you and I are prone to criticize and to complain. Now, you may be different than I am, but I'm prone that way. I'm really good at criticizing. It's one of my spiritual gifts. <clears throat> and so the Lord says, <clears throat> I want you to rejoice. Did you hear me? Rejoice. But Lord, things are bad. Rejoice. Paul and Silas beaten in Philippi in the marketplace, thrown into the jail, their backs bloodied, their feet in, feet in stocks. And what are they doing? Singing praise. I don't think we praise enough. Are things bad? Yeah. 
but we need to praise God. And that's why this concert this morning is so apropos. You and I need to be lifted out of the doldrums of a horrible election and get our eyes back on Jesus Christ. Oh, I look at the election and I say, Lord, come quickly. (laughs) But our God is in the heavens, Psalm 115, verse 3, and he does whatever he pleases and none of this surprises him. And he who used Cyrus and Nebuchadnezzar as his servants may use someone to deal with us. But we have reason to praise. I like the way Luke gives the account in Luke 19. He says, when they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God with loud voices for the miracles that they had witnessed. What were the miracles? I think it's dead Lazarus walking in the crowd. I think it's rich Zacchaeus, who is now a disciple. I think it's blind Bartimaeus, who joined the group in Jericho. And they're praising God with loud voices. Now, the Pharisees didn't like this, and so there was opposition. We read this in Luke 19. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. They did it on general grounds, general principles. They didn't think worship should ever be too enthusiastic, which is like a lot of people in our world. I'm all for contemplative, reflective, meditative worship, just not all the time. When do we lift our voices in praise and enthusiasm? for the fact that God is God and he has blessed us in amazing ways. We should be people of praise. It's interesting that the disciples rebuke or the Pharisees rebuke the disciples, but Jesus doesn't. Did you know that they had some theological points a little off? Go back to verse 10. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Lord. And we read in Luke 19, they thought the kingdom was going to happen right away. They thought Jesus was going to put down Rome and establish Israel as the greatest empire on the land and that they would have positions of power. That's what they were thinking. And so part of their praise was influenced by prophecy that they had misunderstood. They got the coming king right. They were a little off on the coming kingdom. And Jesus didn't rebuke them. Why? I think he probably thought, well, they'll they'll know soon enough. (laughs) By Friday this week when I'm crucified, they'll realize something's happening. But number two, I think maybe Jesus didn't rebuke them because it's so hard to get people to praise that Jesus is just excited when they do, even if it's not perfect. Oh, but the Pharisees are there to oppose. And what does Jesus say to the Pharisees when, when... They say, rebuke the disciples for this outburst of enthusiasm. Of course, they didn't want Jesus honored to begin with, but what did Jesus say? Verse 40 of Luke 19, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I'm not going to say that that had to be the greatest rock concert ever, but... (laughs) It was. It was. 
One of the most familiar and iconic statements that we have ever heard. The rocks will cry out if the people of God, the crown of man's creation, don't fulfill their duty of praising God, inanimate creation will. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork, but even the rocks are going to cry out. Now, the rocks aren't the most beautiful part of God's creation. Oh, there are some amazing rock formations. And you can take some rocks that are gems and polish them, and they have amazing value, but they're common. And if the crown of God's creation will not praise him, then the rocks will. And so we need to be people of praise. The natural response of a true believer that sees that Jesus is the Messiah who fulfills the word of God the natural response of someone who has had their sins forgiven and been transformed and created into a new being by the amazing grace of God, the natural response, I tell you, is praise. We listen to Ace's testimony. What an amazing testimony it is. Praise God for it. You say, man, I wasn't that bad. Oh, really? <laughs> so your sin wasn't this bad. See, some of us don't think we've been forgiven much. And the Bible says those who have been forgiven much, praise much. I was just a comment. I was a pretty good sinner, actually. I wasn't a bad sinner. Didn't take much for Jesus to save me. I was halfway there when I was created. No, my friend, you were a wicked rebel against a holy God, and you deserve the pit of hell, except for God's grace. And that ought to make you praise. I'm amazed in our worship services why praise is so tempered and so calm. It's because we've forgotten what we deserve and how God's amazing grace has changed our lives. Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of what? Praise. That's your spiritual sacrifice. We don't bring animals anymore to the altar, we bring the fruit of our lips, which is praise to God. And we'll be doing that throughout all eternity. Revelation chapter 5 is a scene in heaven, and it says this, With a loud voice the angels cry out, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor, and glory, and praise. Palm Sunday is all about praise. Why? Because Jesus is the king, and his kingdom is coming. And if you know the king, you have reason to shout. And so we ought to sing, as Edward Caswell wrote, when morning gilds the sky, my heart awakening cries. May Jesus Christ be praised, right? At work, alike at work in prayer, to Jesus I repair. May Jesus Christ be praised. Does sadness fill my mind? A solace here I find. Or fades my earthly bliss, my comfort still is this. May Jesus Christ be praised. Be praised because to God the word on high 
the hosts of angels cry. Let mortals too upraise their voice of hymns of praise. Let Jesus Christ be praised.